mini sermon, if you will, a mini charge, mini, uh, what, you know, meta, not a meditation, but charge to us as a church. Uh, uh, I hope you had good Thanksgivings, by the way, before I drop the, and get it heavy. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Good. Uh, it was re- relaxing for the Mason family. We just kind of stayed in Durham, and it was very relaxing. Um, but I do have to be honest, and it's already been mentioned, uh, and tell you that my heart's been heavy this week. Um, the unrest and the outcry and the protest surrounding Ferguson, Missouri, uh, and the killing of Michael Brown, it's opened my eyes and it's opened my heart uh, in a very large way this past week. Um, I don't want to stand up here and be the judge and jury on what should have happened in Ferguson uh, between the officer Darren Wilson and, and Michael Brown. Uh, I've heard testimonies, maybe you've heard some of the testimonies, you've seen some of the evidence, I've seen some of the evidence. Uh, I'm not going to make a verdict on what should or shouldn't have happened uh, in that case. But what has weighed on me this week is the reality, and it's a very big reality, is that the African-American community, my black brothers, our black brothers and sisters, have felt the sting and the pain of many years of systemic oppression as a result of this incident. It's come back unto the surface. The deep hurt and the pain of 250 years of oppression, and even oppression that still happens today, has risen to a boiling point because of Ferguson. Ferguson's not an incident in and of itself. It is revealing something much larger that is happening in our country. The reality that we also have is that we live in a country that only 100 years ago, in 1916, a father took his toddler son to the lynching of an 18-year-old African-American boy because in the father's words, my son can't learn too young. The reality that only 50-plus years ago, There were Jim Crow laws still in place. The reality that a fellow African-American brother in Christ, a pastor, in Atlanta, Georgia, Leonce Crump said in a sermon he he preached, this is what Leonce said in a sermon. He said, I'm 6'5", I weigh 270 pounds. I've been called imposing. The police have stopped me both walking and driving nearly once a year since I was 15 years old. Though I've been asked to leave my vehicle, thrown to the ground and against my vehicle, interrogated, frisked, and cuffed on these occasions, I've never been cited, never been given a ticket, not once. Until you feel the humiliation of this moment, he says, particularly as a decent, civilized, educated black. Yes, he says, that's an actual quote of someone referring to me one time behind my back. Then you cannot, understand, then you cannot say that what has been happening to him, he said, is an anomaly. The reality that we also have from a CNN poll, 54% of non-whites, black, Latino, Asian, say Officer Wilson should have been charged with a murder. While 23%, only 23% of whites agree. 38% of whites say Wilson should have been charged with no crime at all. That poll, CNN poll, affirms what an article in The Guardian said. That's what the article in The Guardian said. Subconscious bias affects one's actions before a person is ever aware of it. And what they're saying is that all of us grow up in particular with racial bias that affects our actions. They cited a study from the University of Milano by Coca, which found that when people are exposed to images of a needle piercing someone's skin, 
They experience a more dramatic, measurable, physiological response when white skin is inflicted with pain than when black skin is. It's a reality. Here is another truth that the last line of the Guardian article said, and this is hard for me to swallow, that the majority of America, white majority, may literally be unable to feel the pain of their fellow Americans because of that. Because of that. Here's a reality for me personally. I've never been stopped by a police officer, asked to get out of my car and searched and frisked. I've never once had someone question if I was an educated man. Because I'm white, blue-haired, or blue hair, blue-eyed, never had blue hair, blonde hair growing up, blue-eyed, had a lot of privilege, a lot of privilege. And there have been times in planting this church and leading this church that I've been struck with great fear. Fear of not knowing how to lead through the realities of racial tensions because I am in the majority culture. And in some sense, as the article said, I will not be able to feel the pain of my fellow black brothers and sisters. I will not. So here's what I've been asking all week long. Are our ears open to the cry of the oppressed? Are we listening to the pain and the hurt and the wounds of oppression? Are we listening to the outrage of a community? And if there are 170 cities across our country protesting, with millions protesting and crying out, we have to listen. We have to listen and give space for this voice. So my heart's been heavy this week. While at the same time, I've been reinvigorated. I've been refueled with a passion for this church, with a passion for the vision and the mission of Christ Central. Because I believe that the hope of healing and reconciliation, the possibility of black, white, Latino, Asian coming together in love is not ultimately rooted in a political cause or a rally or in government. But I believe the reality of God's kingdom, the reality of the church because of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the place where there is no longer, as Paul says in Galatians, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, or in our day, black nor white, rich nor poor. In Jesus, we're all the same. We all are instilled with dignity and beauty and gifts that we offer one another and that we offer in service to our God. I believe that we can be a church where white listens to black and black listens to Latino, and Asian listens to white. Where the oppressed are empowered and the privileged learn to give up some of their rights for the sake of their brothers and sisters. Not out of guilt, not out of anger, not out of fear, but because the gospel of Jesus motivates us. Because in the gospel, all of humanity is redeemed into a unified community of hope and love. Christ Central, God has placed us in downtown Durham, a place with rich history, a place that has experienced incredible growth, very diverse in its population, a place where you can live on one street with million-dollar homes and two streets over, houses are in disrepair. And our hope is that we are a Christ-centered. Jesus is first and foremost in all that we do, Christ-centered, cross-cultural, truly loving one another because we're rooted in the love of Christ. And as we do that, Our prayer is that Durham would see us doing that together and they would taste a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, a unified family of God. Amen? Amen. 
That's our hope. That's what we want to see happen in this church. That's what needs to happen in downtown Durham. And I believe that the gospel is our hope. It's the only thing that can make that happen because there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of years. And there will continue to be confusion as we move forward, but the gospel allows it to happen. So let me read as we continue on our sermon series. That was a side note. I had to, had to say that this week in light of what's happened uh, as the church uh, all too often remains silent on issues that are that big. We can't remain silent. We have to speak because that's about the gospel. It's not about a cause. It's about the gospel. So let me read Psalm 121 this morning. Uh, this is our text from Psalm 121. I'm going to ask you to stand as is our custom as we hear God's word this morning. This is God's word to us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let me pray again. Lord God, we come to your word and we ask that you speak. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Jesus, make yourself known. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, it's Advent. If you were here at the beginning of the service, we've got the Advent wreath of the candle burning. Uh, and every week of Advent, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a psalm of ascent. The psalms of ascent are psalm, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. We're going to take four of these uh, psalms and look at them together. The psalms of ascent were songs that were sung by the Israelites as they made their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, to worship in the temple. And the temple was the place of God's presence, His dwelling. And so they would sing these songs, songs of hope, as they looked forward to gathering with the people of God in the presence of God. Advent is a time of hope for us. It's a time of hope where we are to sing songs, looking forward uh, to what Christ will do, but we look backward and in the present and in the forward. We look backward that Christ has come, we're thankful that He's with us, and we look forward to when Christ will come again. The Psalms of Ascent, they were... They were sort of a, a playlist uh, for the Israelite pilgrim, pilgrims. They, they would sing these as they journeyed, and they should be our playlists, church, our hymns, our songs that we sing to one another during this Advent season, longing for Christ to come again. Psalm 121 in particular is a cry on the journey. It's a cry upon the road to Jerusalem, and it should be our cry to the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem when Christ returns. But a question arises really quickly in this Psalm of Ascent is, is what type of road lies ahead? What type of road are we to expect? The first thing that I want to say this morning is that the troubled road lies ahead. The troubled road. The Psalm lets us know that the road ahead is marked with trouble. That's not very comforting, is it? <laughs> Cheer up! We're on a road marked with trouble. The, the Israelites are journeying to be with God's people in the presence in Jerusalem. And the thing that we learn is that embarking 
on this travel does not remove one from trouble. Christian, just because maybe you've trusted Christ, you've embarked on a life of trust and faith with Jesus, that you are journeying to this time when Christ's kingdom is complete, it does not mean that we have been promised to have a life free from trouble. In fact, Scripture is pretty clear that the road ahead is marked with trouble for the Christian. Paul in the New Testament was Saul. Right? He was a persecutor of the church. He was a very educated man, a man of power, a leader of the Pharisees. And you see in Acts, he's on the road to Damascus and was blinded by God and by the grace of God was converted, brought to faith in Jesus. This Damascus road experience led Paul to start traveling down the road of trust and faith in Jesus. He was traveling no longer as an enemy of the gospel, but now he's an ambassador of the gospel. And 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 28, show us what this new road held for Paul. Listen to this. Cheer up and, and hear this. Five times, Paul says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. That was Paul's road that he traveled. Being a Christian does not remove the possibility of trouble. In fact, you could say being a Christian heightens trouble, hardship, suffering. I doubt anyone in here who would call themselves a Christian would say that the person instrumental in, in leading you to faith in Christ and telling you about the gospel shared the gospel this way. Believe in Jesus and you will suffer. Right? Believe the gospel. You will face hardship. It's not often how we share, but it's true. We will face much difficulty on the road that lies ahead. The road to Jerusalem, the, the road to the new Jerusalem for us, church, is filled with many potholes and many bumps and much pain and trouble. The psalmist journeying on the road begins the psalm by saying, I lift my eyes up to the hills. I lift my eyes up to the hills. He's journeying towards the mountains, to Jerusalem. And the hills aren't a place of rescue. Actually, the hills and the mountains are a place of danger. The mountains were a place of pagan worship. The mountains were the hiding place for robbers who would attack those traveling by. The mountains represent the unknown trouble that awaits the Christian traveler. We live the Christian life and we move towards the new Jerusalem and there awaits for us trouble along the road. There will be death that we experience, racial injustices, family turmoil, emotional and physical sickness, financial difficulty. You will be tempted in every way imaginable. Marriages will be hard. Children will rebel. You'll be judged because of your race. There will be things that will happen in your life that will rob you of joy, peace, and hope. Times in your life when you cannot see what lies ahead on the road. Over and over as we live the Christian life, we will look up and we will lift our eyes up into the hills and to the mountains and we will see danger. 
trouble, suffering. And we will be tempted to think we're all alone. We're all alone. And isn't that what we're really scared of? Being left all alone in the trouble and the pain and the suffering? I mean, why do you think every scary movie... I started watching scary movies when I was like six. I don't know what my parents were thinking. But I started watching scary movies at an early age. And why do you think every scary movie has a guy or a girl running from its attacker? You know, at one point they're with friends, and all of a sudden their friends disappear, and they're running through the woods in the dark all by themselves. The attacker's coming. They fall down right, and they trip. And you're like, get up and run. Like, go. And all of a sudden, you know, the attacker catches them. Everybody is scared. It's scared to be left all alone with trouble and pain coming after them. Hollywood knows everybody's afraid of being alone when trouble looms. What lies ahead is trouble and pain and suffering for the Christian. Not because it's your fault. Not because it's your fault. It's because we live in a broken world with sinful people. There will be pain and suffering in this world because the world does not know Christ. It's actually opposed to Christ. If you're here and you're searching, you're skeptical about Christianity, I wish I could tell you to come to faith in Jesus and you'll no longer experience trouble. But I have to be honest, there are mountains in the future. There's a trouble road that we travel. So what lies ahead is this trouble, and you must be asking, then why? Why? Right? Why? What hope is there? And that's my second point, is so that we can know that we have a traveling companion. There's a troubled road, but on this road that we travel, we have a traveling companion. The great hymn by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We sing this this hymn and we sing, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. So we tremble not. We tremble not. A mighty fortress is our God. We need not fear what lies ahead. We need not fear the mountains because the truth is we're not alone. We are not alone. There are three dangers that this psalm addresses. And, and there's sort of a progression from, from little to great danger. Look, look at the psalm. It says the slipping of the foot. That's kind of the little things, right? This kind of slipping of the foot. And, and, and that could be difficulty at work. Difficulty of looking for a job. Or maybe a friend that just kind of rubs you the wrong way or an argument you got into with a family member. Slipping of the foot. The the sun shall not strike you by day. It's a little bit more severe. That's exhaustion. You're just drained. You're tired. You just want to break. And maybe maybe there's relationships that that are failed and you're just kind of wondering what's happening. You're, You're exhausted. And then there's the moon by night. Right? We're not fear the moon by night. That's even greater. That's the notion of kind of emotional lunacy, deep emotional issue, depression, anxiety, deep insecurity. It's this progression from little to great danger. And the question that we ask and that this psalm asks is where does our help come from? What are, where does our help come from? And this song is a reminder you're not alone. There is a traveling companion in the little and in the big troubles who is our help. So let me tell you about this traveling companion on the road that we travel. He's a present alert guardian. He is a present alert guardian. He's first a guardian. Six times in this psalm. Six times is the word keep or guard. 
He who keeps you. He who keeps Israel. The Lord is your keeper. Our God is the one who protects and defends and guards us in the midst of trouble from little to great. He protects us. When I was little, I was at my grandmother's house. I think it might have been around Thanksgiving. Uh, And there were a flock of geese that were on the farm. Uh, My mom grew up on a farm in Alabama. And uh, there were a flock of geese and I was... I think six or seven years old, and I was trying to be sly and sneak up and throw a box over and catch a baby geese. And uh, a goose, baby goose, baby geese, uh, one of those. Uh, and as I threw the box, the mother, the mother goose, mother hen, right at me, and I, st- I ran, cried, ran straight to my mom. And I ran, as this mom protected her baby, I ran to my mom, who often protected her baby. And throughout my life, my mom would do anything to protect me, to guard me. Our God is a protector. He guards the powerless. He defends the defenseless. He's quick to come and give us aid. He shields us from the attack of others. He guards us. He guards our going out, our coming in. He goes before and He hems us in behind. He covers our front and He's got our back. Right? He's got our back. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let the sun strike you by day and the moon by night. He keeps your going out and your coming in. Second thing, he's an alert guardian. He's not just a guardian, he is an alert guardian. Look at verse 4. Be, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Our God does not slumber. He doesn't sleep. He's always alert. He's always on guard. He's never turning a blind eye or a deaf ear. He's never falling asleep on us. Maybe you've had this situation. I, I, I have. Uh, Late at night, maybe growing up, you were talking with a a friend, or maybe it's happened with a spouse, where you're talking and you're sharing about what's been going on, and kind of maybe you're sharing your heart, and uh, and all of a sudden it's been five to ten minutes of you kind of sharing what's been going on, and you're just kind of pouring out your heart, and all of a sudden you hear, (laughs) you're like, hello. Just poured out my heart, and you've fallen asleep on me. What, what the heck? You're like, come on, wake up. I've just shared everything. Our God doesn't do that. Our God does not fall asleep. Our God does not doze off. Our God hears the outcries coming from Ferguson, Missouri. He hears the alert, or, or the pain and the alert of those around our country. He is not asleep on the systemic issues. Our God hears the cries of those being killed in Syria by ISIS. Our God hears the cries of those suffering from starvation all across the globe. Our God hears the cries of those being sold into sexual slavery. He's always alert and attentive to the cries of His people. Well, maybe you're thinking, okay, Daniel, God, He's alert. He's an alert guardian. Of course He is. He's God and He's in control over the whole world. He's watching and guarding all that takes place. But I still think there's no way He cares about my personal struggles. No way he cares about my personal struggle. Maybe it's easier for you to believe that he's God over the whole world than to believe that he's God, alert guardian over you personally. Maybe you think, okay, God, he's this kind of old bearded grandfather in the sky looking out over the whole world. But when it comes to you, staying up late at night when no one's around and you're unable to sleep because of your anxiety, or when you can't get out of bed in the morning because you're afraid of what the day holds, You've been in particular sin and addiction for so long, you think he'll never forgive you and that he just doesn't care. 
I want to tell you that he is personal, present, alert guardian. He is personal. His name is Yahweh. His name is Yahweh. Psalm 121. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. Lord, when it's capitalized in your Bible, it should be capitalized. When it's capitalized in the English, that designates the use of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, the covenant Lord. We hear of Yahweh in Mo, uh, with Moses in Exodus 3. And Moses is about to go and to deliver Israel from Egypt and lead them to the promised land. And Moses asked God, well, who should I tell has sent me? And God responds, tell them I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And the answer to that question, it's not a noun, it's a verb. I am, it, it means I be to be. Throughout the Old Testament, God reminds Israel, I will be with you. Hebrews chapter 12, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. God tells his people, he says, you know who I am? I am, I be with you. I am present. God is with us in our personal cries of loneliness. He's, in our, he's with us in our personal cry of depression in our own cry of pain, in our personal cry for justice, He hears your cry. He is not asleep. He is not bored at your cry. Yahweh, that's His name. It's the covenant name. I am with you. Maybe another covenant that you're familiar with is the covenant of marriage. What's often said in a wedding vow? From this day forward, for better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health, I will be with you. I'm never going to go anywhere. I'm with you. God promises, in better or worse, good or bad, joy and pain, sickness and health, I am with you. I know your pain. I know your brokenness. God knows it so much because He sent His only Son. When we were in darkness and death and sin, He sent Jesus, Matthew 1.23, God with us. The very heart of God is portrayed in the presence of God in flesh, Christ. And Jesus Christ has experienced the darkness of six hours on the cross. He experienced the aloneness of being left by His Father on the cross, deserted in the Garden of Gethsemane as He was marching towards the cross. His disciples fell asleep. They fell asleep. Jesus Christ, our God, does not fall asleep. Jesus prayed, Thy will be done. He experienced the darkness of the cross so that we would never have to be alone in our darkness, but always have a traveling companion with us. Jesus Christ is our strong tower. He's our hope this morning. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He is personally acquainted with all of you, your joys and your suffering. He watches your going out and your coming in. He is I am, never leaving you never forsaking you. So as we journey down the pilgrim road, there will be times of pain and places of darkness and the hurt that we experience. They're not barriers. They're not hindrances to God's presence. But they are God's opportunities for us to experience His personal, watchful protection until we arrive home with Him. Jesus is our personal, present, alert guardian protecting us. And that has future implications, of course, when he returns, but it has present implications. It has present implications because it means all of us can rest. 
but you can rest because God never sleeps. We can. Some of you might, might need to go home and take a nap this afternoon and rest because God doesn't. He watches over you. It means you can rest in your anxiety because God's with you. It means you can rest in your depression because, because God knows and is reminding you this morning you're not alone. It means in your cry for justice you can rest because God hears and He promises to do something about it. It means as a church we can rest, church, because God is doing something about the suffering and the brokenness and the sin in our world. He is a present, alert guardian protecting us and building His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And He's building His kingdom here at Christ Central Church and in Durham, North Carolina, as it is in heaven. And so may we know as we travel this troubled road that we have a traveling companion who is always, always with us. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would remind us of that yet again this morning. All of us are coming from different places, doubting even maybe the words I've said because of experiences. Make yourself known yet again that you are here and that you watch over us and protect us. Thank you, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, never leaving nor forsaking. We take great comfort in that this morning. We rest in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to a time in our service every week.